Hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast where we coach you in the word. It's a pleasure to be with you. We have enjoyed seeing all of the downloads of our material across the country, but specifically in West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, California, into the Philippines, New York, uh, Pennsylvania. We've just been blessed by your involvement in our Bible studies and we hope that they are a blessing to you as you dive in and dissect them. We would love to hear from you. Mike Springston, uh, if, uh, Mike Springston Ministries.com, Springston56 at gmail.com, FFCMA.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's messaging. We've heard from people around the world in the last two weeks, and we certainly enjoy hearing from you, a word of encouragement, a question, whatever the case may be, we would enjoy hearing from you. Well, today we're going to look at a message that my mother and I have collaborated on um, to define for you what is the real meaning of the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll go into it. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray that you will minister and bless. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear. Our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us and then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Now God, we ask that Jesus would speak out of the throne. The Holy Ghost would hear his words Reveal them to us, Father, and we promise we will receive them and release them to your people. We ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Let's take a look into the scripture. We're going to come today from Luke chapter 10, verse 29 through 37. The other day, I uh, took the opportunity to listen to a lesson where a teacher was using... Uh, Luke's uh, story of the Good Samaritan. And the context of that story uh, was used to define a stance against racism. This story was used to show how the denied, the outcast, and the unattended was the one who stopped to attend to the man who was suffering in the ditch. Now, that makes good copy, and it certainly meets the narrative of the day. But really and truthfully, we need not to go there to see what God has done to level the spiritual playing field and the playing floor for all of mankind. It's been said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and that may or may not be true in reality, but When it comes to the economy of spiritual things, it is absolutely true. So as I share with you the real meaning of the story of the Good Samaritan, I hope you see that the divisions that we create through the concept of racism and the solutions that we devise are nowhere near as good as the real story. We seem to fail to understand that racism is a division caused by the man of sin, not caused by the word of God. 
we seem to fail to understand that sin is at the root of racism, not what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We reject the very thing that is the answer. While we devise man's own wisdom to create solutions, they're not nearly as good as the real story, my friend. For in the real story we find the truth of how God made the spiritual victory available for every man and leveled all opportunities for every man and everyone in the spiritual world. Look at Luke 10, verse 29, But he willingly, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among four thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and depart, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he came, he was at the place came over and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, isn't that interesting? A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds and poured in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now there's a couple points I want you to see here first. Jericho was a place known for its selfishness and self-sufficiency. It was a walled city with, where no one went in and no one came out. It was a city known in Joshua's day. It was a city of the king. That king was identified as that would you know of, I, me, and mine. God gave the city into the hands of Joshua as the Israelites marched around the city for seven days. And of course, you know the story. The walls fell, and when they did, Israel went in and destroyed it. When we look at the story that we refer to as the story of the Good Samaritan, we're seeing Jesus illustrate a principle about himself. So this man, according to what Jesus said, came from Jerusalem and went down to Jericho. Jerusalem in Hebrews chapter 12, 22 is referred to by Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews as the heavenly city of the living God. So in the illustration, this man came from Jericho Jerusalem down to Jericho. Pay attention to that. 
So this man came from Jerusalem and went down to Jericho. Well, this is the first clue, my friend, that the content of this illustration is not at all about a good Samaritan, nor is it about the racial divide of the day in which it was given or the racial divide that exists in our day. Those that teach this scripture from this perspective have not paid attention to the words that Jesus is saying. I might add that this seems to be the case in many, if not most, of those who are in charge of teaching and preaching the word of God in our day. Now, why is the word down of such importance in this story? Because if we look at the map, it is physically impossible for one to go from a southern city downward to a city that sits north of its location. He could not have been referring to what he was illustrating as that good Samaritan being an actual good Samaritan who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. This had to have a deeper and greater implication just by the way he began the story. I seriously doubt that Jesus was directionally challenged. So he was referring to himself coming down from the holy city Jerusalem that resides in the heavens, as the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 declares. Of course, Jericho is a representation of the world. Jesus is declaring his story while illustrating what is being recorded. He says, I came down from heaven, from the heavenly Jerusalem, and I fell among thieves and robbers. And they, there they're going to strip me of my raiment. They will wound me. They will leave me dead in their eyes. There's another clue. Because Jesus identified it, the man as being half dead. That tells me something. Because in the tomb where salvation preserved him, his flesh was dead, but his spirit was not. So we have two clues here that tell us that Jesus is not referring to a good Samaritan. He's referring to what is about to happen to him, what he is going to go through. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 26, 7 rather, verse 26 through 31. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified, scourged him, beaten him, wounded him. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, gathered into him the whole band of soldiers, and what did they do? They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. When they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. They beat him to shreds, and then they sent him to be crucified. This was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 15. Behold, my servant 
shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so barred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. He was weakened, so weakened by the beating that he couldn't carry his own cross. Another man was summoned to carry his cross the last of the way to Calvary, where he was hung, but he was left only half dead. The outer man, dead. The inner man preserved. So who was watching this event? In Jesus' illustration, there was the priest and the Levite. They came and saw him, and of course, they looked the other way. In the illustration in the crucifixion, there was a man that shows curiosity, kindness, and mercy, gratefulness to the beaten man. In the illustration, it is a Samaritan in actuality. In reality, it is Jesus telling us his own story. In the illustration, a Samaritan is used. But in reality, it's simply Jesus telling us his own story. So we can now see who and what Jesus is describing with the story of the Good Samaritan. He's describing and prophesying his death. The illustration that led the reader to many different ideas has been used in many different ways. However, the message has been one that meets a narrative more so than one that recognizes the theme of the life of Jesus. Now let's go to Luke 10.33 and see how the scene changes. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, poured in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? Now notice this. In the first three verses, Jesus paints himself as a victim. In the last five verses, he portrays himself as a victor. As the victor, he shows love, mercy, and grace to a victim. He becomes the good Samaritan of whom he has used as the main character in this illustration. Watch again. Why would he use the Samaritan as the central character when illustrating a parable concerning himself? Well, that's apparent if you know the scripture because the Samaritans were all hated by the Jews. This was a relationship that he was well acquainted with, being hated by the persecuted by the Jews. That would certainly play out in the death of Jesus Christ. Why did they hate the Samaritans? because they had intermarried with Jews and were considered a half-breed and an unclean people. Their place of domicile was made to be separate from the Jews who in their mind remained pure to their blood. So the Jew despised the Samaritan, remained apart from them at all cost. 
Now Jesus speaking to a lawyer, what's identified as a scribe, Jesus begins to show the lawyer his wrong thinking. And I might add also the wrong thinking of an entire people group. When we begin with verse 34, Jesus has been to the cross. He's been resurrected, and he has established the church. The church in this illustration is referred to as the inn. After seeing the victim, he is taken to the church. Isn't this precisely what Jesus has done for every victim of sin since he became Lord? After binding up his wounds with oil and wine, which represent the anointing and the blood, the victor tends or ministers to and carries the victim himself to the inn. He tells the innkeeper, I'm going to leave, but when I return, I will give you a reward. What do you see here? Do you see the work of the church? Do you see the second coming of Jesus Christ? Do you see that his reward is in his hand? Yes, my friend, this story is about a victim and a victor, glory to God. It's about the divine plan of God for the body of Christ, which is the church. It's about the role that the church was to play in nurturing the wounded and the hurting back to stability and health. It's about the ministry that one would extend to another because it was extended to them. We could stop right here and examine the work of the innkeeper. We could ask if the keeper who was given a down payment has sufficiently done the job based upon the price paid and the promise of a reward. We could ask what became of the victim. Was he nurtured to health and did he become a seeker of other victims? Based upon our current conditions in the Christian world, we would have to say that the innkeepers have taken the gift and not seen to the task at hand. We would have to say that the innkeeper expects a reward in the end, but has to devise a narrative to attempt to be worthy to receive the promise. But why did Jesus use the good Samaritan in referring to himself? Of course, it was because he was hated by the Jews. To them, he was every bit as illegitimate as a person as the Samaritans. So neither he nor the Samaritans would be accepted. It was the perfect use of association based upon the culture of the day. This is an interesting parable because it shows how love, mercy, and grace brought the certain man through. This is played out before Jesus' death as he shows mercy to the thief who is being crucified next to him. The question is then asked, who is his neighbor? The scribe had to answer it was the good Samaritan. The Jews, not knowing or understanding mercy, grace, and love, were unable to express these because they trusted in the law. For this reason, they would condemn Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. The scribe identifies the good Samaritan, the rejected one, the one nobody wants, the one they're going to crucify. He really is your neighbor. He is the one that's taking you someplace that you need to go so you can get well and healthy. Of course, we know that Jesus exposed the law when he said in Matthew 12, 5 through 8, there is one here who is greater than the temple. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. The good Samaritan, the rejected one, is the one greater than the temple. 
But if you know what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He's saying that if they knew who he was, they would not have killed the guiltless. And I would say that today too. If the world knew who Jesus Christ was and knew that the preemptor of the division in the land is from a demonic origin, but the one who is guiltless and perfect has provided a gospel message that when understood, it eliminates every racial divide because it fills man with the love of Almighty God. He is Lord of the Sabbath. From here, he proceeds to go to the cornfield and watch his disciples eat. The Pharisees condemned his actions. Why did they do that? Because they live in the law and not in love, grace, and mercy. He later went into the synagogue and healed a man who had a withered hand. Why? Because mercy, love, and grace was to be given. And of course, a greater than the temple was here. Matthew 9, 13 said, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why was he making this statement in Matthew 9, verse 12? Verse 12 told us the answer. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. The divided world today is sick. They are sick under the spell of the man of sin. They don't see it that way, but sin is destroying the world. Sin is destroying relationships. Sickness that the great physician, the greater than the temple, the good Samaritan, has provided and produced a means where that people can come together and live in love, in mercy, and in grace. Now he came to those who were victims of sin just like he's trying to come into our world today. He became the victor. He called the righteous to the church to minister to the victims. He paid for the peace of the victims and he promised to reward those who keep the victims. This is tremendous wisdom by our Lord. In Psalm 69 verse 20, Reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of heaviness and I looked for some to take pity but there was none. And for comforters but I found none. Verse 21, They gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. I looked for those to show love, mercy, and grace but there was none. Jesus, my friend, was a human being. He was dying on the cross instead of showing mercy, grace, and peace. They added to his suffering. He became their victim. This was the means the people under the law operated. There was no love, no grace, no mercy. But to the thief, in the condition of being rejected to death, he showed that thief love, mercy, and grace. Our country has turned so dynamically away from God that we reverted to living under the law. We do not express any of these attributes today. We have a narrative that says there is no forgiveness except to those that we say 
from our narrative can be forgiven. There's no mercy, and no one can be, uh, and, and one can be discarded for life out of his job for doing a wrong, or even a perceived wrong, regardless of the distance of time between the act and the day the act is found to have been done. We have no love. We do not shelter people in a love that can both chastise and correct while loving them out of their issues. People today are dispensable. We live under the law. People can be legally denied when we live under the law. People can be crucified in the town square because we're living under the law. No grace, no mercy, no love. Now the law is a legal divider. In the Jewish nation it divided them from everyone who was not pure. Not pure. Isn't that interesting? What is purity today? We do not call ourselves living under the Jewish law, but we do live under uh, the absence of mercy, grace, and love. So what is purity today? Purity today is agreement with the narrative. Look at the world and you will see how the narrative drives the association. If I agree with the narrative, I'm associated. Because I'm associated, I receive latitude. If I'm outside the narrative, there is no such offering. Even those who have been in the narrative can be eliminated from the narrative. How in the world would that happen? Because they choose to step out of the narrative often to just describe truth. Isn't that what happened to the, to the Samaritans? So there is an assumed safe core. But under the law where there is no content of love, mercy, or grace, those that live in a world based upon the assumption that they're in the in crowd and will remain there will pay a dear price to remain there. And if the moment comes when they step out, have a thought of their own, they'll be eliminated from that group, cast out. Can there come a day when they are rejected, my friend? Absolutely. That day is when the exposure of truth is manifested in them. How's it manifested? When we see the good Samaritan pick up the herdian and carry them to the inn, now in this parable, Jesus has extended all three to Israel. Grace, love, and mercy. But Israel chose to ignore his overtures. There was no place that he was not doing good for the people and to the people. But Israel chose to call him an imposter. Wow. This thing is ringing so clear and true in our day. The ones under the law call the church an imposter. They deny Jesus and proclaim so by profaning his name in the streets. The church is seen as an imposter because love, mercy, and grace is no longer the narrative of the culture. We can look no further than to the life of Paul prior to being knocked off the horse by Jesus. When he was stopped by Jesus, he learned that he was wrong. He was showing no mercy, no grace, and no love to mankind when Paul saw how he was in the light of who Jesus was and what he had done for him, it broke his heart. Our hearts should be broken as well when we consider our life. We've been given grace, mercy, and love, 
But we're refusing to recognize our wrong because we feel that we don't have to. What's the driving force for that? The man of sin. The man of sin that is leading you in places that you should not go, but you go anyway because it satisfies your pride, your lust, and the works of the flesh. We found a narrative that points to what we perceive as a greater wrong than what we may have done or even may be doing. Therefore, we run to do the very thing of which we demean when it's done to us. Yep, we become the law. We are the judge and the jury of others' actions. We leave the beam in our eye while we identify the stick in someone else's. We're allowed to do that because of the side of the narrative from which the beam eye is attached. What has happened to us that we choose law over grace? We're living under the influence of the evil that is cast into us by the prince of the power of the air, the man of sin. All the while, we had a victim, Jesus Christ, in the ditch, and a victor, the good Samaritan, who rose from the dead. He used an inn called the church to nurture us. The innkeepers may have failed to some degree. They may have not used the price paid with all of the correct means and intentions and for its purpose. But I want to tell you, that means exists today. The message of the cross is as real today as it's ever been. What Jesus Christ has offered as freedom from the man of sin that will unite you to him and bring you into the capacity to not only know love, but to live love so that you can traverse this earth loving, giving, having mercy, chastising and correcting where necessary, but walking in love with your brother. Now those that are in the church that have failed need to come back and make sure they're right because according to this scripture, we're awaiting the return of a victor. Now based on what we now know from the correct meaning of the story of the Good Samaritan, here's what I want to ask you. What will his reward be when he returns for you? Father, I thank you for the word of God. Bless it. Mature it in our hearts so that we may know, so that we may know that we know that we know that all that we are, who we are, how we live is right in your sight. We will give you praise and honor and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed the teaching. Study it out. It's a beautiful teaching. Two clues that tell us that Jesus is talking about himself. First clue, no way for him to go down to Jericho. Second clue, the man was half dead. Jesus went to the tomb, but his inner man was preserved. Those two clues tell us that Jesus Christ is talking about him as a victim as well as him as a victor. Now as victim, he relates to you. 
as victor, he is giving to you the means for you to live a victorious life. May God bless you until we speak again.